So <clears throat> we went through the seven values of the church. And then last week, <clears throat> we, we started uh, digging deeper. And last week was talking about what it's like to be in intimate relationship with God. And I can guarantee you that anybody that you're in an intimate relationship with, there's communication going on. So we talked last week about, about how God speaks. And I sent you home with some uh, homework last week. Did you do it? We can't go on unless you did it. So do you want to do it now? The homework was for you to talk to God. Rather than for you to run down through your list of things you needed, your homework was for you to ask God a question. And that question was, God, do you love me? You're supposed to listen. This is a trick question because the answer is, of course, yes. If you hear anything else, you know that voice wasn't God. When you hear yes, you know that's God. And then after you heard yes, the question to go deeper was, so God, what do you love about me? This is practice, so we can begin to hear from God. How in the world could we possibly live the life God has for us if we're not in communication with Him? Now this is no way discounts the importance of the Bible. Right? But if your question to God is, should you have the hamburger or the chicken... You're not going to find that in Leviticus or Revelation or anywhere else. You need to ask God. Why would it matter if you had the hamburger or the chicken? Let's say the chicken came from the chicken farm that had salmonella. Does God know that? God knows that. Does God want you to know that? Of course God wants you to know that. How will you know if you don't ask? How can he tell you if you don't hear? So in digging deeper in our values, value one is biblical authority and value two is intimate relationship. And as we dig deeper into that and move closer, the question was, do you want to be known as the people who know about God or do you want to be known as the people who know God? I would rather be known as someone who knows God, who walks with him, who talks with him. As you read your Bible... There is example after example of how God spoke to his people and led them into great adventures. And that kind of brings us up to today's great adventure. Would you rather be in the stands or be on the field? Now I know, I'm old. There's a great TV show. It's called Night Fight. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But these guys put on armor. And then they get into a ring. And at first, the first round is called the, ground, the, the Grand Melee. And there's six people in there with axes and swords and all kinds of weapons. Dull. You can't stab, but you can strike. And they're going after it. Now, I was watching that and telling Lana, man, I would love to do that 30 years ago, right? So when I ask this question, I understand I do not want to line up against anybody and play any kind of contact sport. 
But the question in general stands. Would you rather be in the stands or be on the field? What's it mean to be in the stands? It means you're an outsider. It means you're not included. It means you have a very, very small role. Look, I understand every sports team in the world talks about the fifth man or the eleventh man or twelfth man or whatever it is about how important us fans are. They say that for one reason. They're trying to sell tickets. Right? What role? I mean, we call them our team, right? Really? In the stands? Or on the field? Now, some sporting event. Yeah. All right, let's talk about real life things. Real things that matter. Would you rather be an observer and a cheerleader or active and participating? Would you rather be in the classroom or practice what you learn? Um, this is not a good review of church things. Typically at church, we are a classroom, right? You come here and gain knowledge. Just about every other thing I go to get trained in, it works like this. We sit at the table or something for about an hour gaining information. Then we get up from the table and we leave when we go to some practice arena and we do what we just talked about. That's not the pattern we do at church, is it? We just talk about it and wish you well and come back next week and we'll dig deeper into some topic that we can talk about. So this question is, would you rather continually learn or would you rather do what you've learned? Um, and this is the real question. Would you rather live in a small story or live in a large story? What's a small story look like? I was born a poor white child in 1958 in Hiawatha, Kansas. I went to Hiawatha Elementary, Robinson Junior High, and Hiawatha High School. I went to college. I earned my degree. I got a job where I could make some money. I found a beautiful woman, convinced her to marry me. We got together. We had four kids. We live in a house. I'm old now, looking at retirement, and I will soon die. Amen. Right? A small story. A small story. If your story has you as the main character, it's a small story. I mean, you're a nice person. You're important. You're really valuable. But in the story we all live in, you're not the main character. And if you are living your life as if you are the main character, you, my friends, have chosen to live in a small, small story. One that will end someday at the cemetery and be totally covered by a dash. 1958. Let's see, when's the end date? Uh, 2065 or whatever it is. There we go, that'll work. 
I don't know when that date is. I don't need an end date. Doesn't matter. It's my promotion date when that date comes because I do not live in a small story. I live in a large story. And I want to invite you today into that large story by telling you a story in four chapters, four acts. Act number one, eternal love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before any of this that we see or touch or know of was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they lived in beautiful, loving relationship together. Before you were ever thought of, Act 1, eternal love. I don't know what it was like then. We're not told what it was like then. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit lived together in unity, perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect love. See, that's why we, we are created for relationship. Because when God made us, He made us in His image, one of relationship. And I can tell you that every good story that you can tell me almost always involves words like us and we. Right? And I can also tell you that almost every story of the greatest harm and tragedy in your life includes those same words. Right? Where they... It's because um, God is a God of relationship, of eternal love. This story that we've been invited into is a story that we are being invited into. The story does not begin with your birth. The story was going on before you were born. The story was going on before your great-great-grandparents were born. We are being invited into something that is ageless and timeless and much, much larger than us. It's a tremendous story that we're being invited into. We're not the main character. Now you play a significant role in this story. An irreplaceable role. But you're not the main character. I always try to be gentle when I lay down some really heavy truth. So hang on to your pew. The universe does not revolve around you there I said it right the story starts with God and the story reveals the heart of God what kind of heart does God have can you trust the heart of God is he good is he a lover Does he relate? Yes. Yes, you can. 
And then, you know, if you think about movies and stories that you know and that you love, they always have things in common, right? They almost always start with something like once upon a time or in the beginning or a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? All these great stories start that way because ours does too. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word was the light who gave life to men. Yeah! But then, what happens in every story? I did not make it to the Robinson melodrama this year, but I can guarantee there was a character in the Robinson melodrama, and we booed and hissed when he came on the scene. The villain. And the melodrama makes melodramatic images of things. But those things are real. Why does every story have a villain? Because yours does. When we come to Act 2, the entrance of evil, after the fellowship of the Trinity, God created angels. What are angels like? Every time in Scripture when a man comes face to face with an angel... There's always something that immediately happens. The man falls face down on the ground. And then the angel says, get up, don't fear. So, I know we have little fat baby cherub pictures of angels, which, okay, maybe they look like little fat baby cherub angels. I don't know. But I do know that in Second Chronicles, one angel destroyed an entire army. And if it looked like a little fat cherub baby, hey, that's whatever. It's not about how he looked. It's the kind of power that an angel has. In 2 Samuel, one angel destroyed 70,000 men. And in the end of times, four angels come and destroy one-third of the earth. Angels are terrible. What do I mean by that? Are they mean and cruel? No. They're powerful and they can do great destruction. They can also do great other things. But just to be clear, the first thing God created were angels. And he did not create them as small little garden gnomes or cute little things. They're terrifying beings. So God created the angels in heaven. And then what happened? Well, there was a particular one named Lucifer. who was the star of the morning, the most beautiful, who was at one point the head of the uh, uh, guard, the guardian of the glory of the Lord. But he was overtaken with pride and envy. He, didn't, he no longer trusted the heart of God and thought that God was holding out and thought that he could be God and he could be worshipped so there was war in heaven. A 
I don't know what this picture of war looks like. But these incredibly powerful, terrible beings are fighting it out. They do not have dulled weapons like night fight. And it's not going well. And then Michael, the archangel, comes and throws Satan and a third of the angels out of heaven. You will not understand your story and you, until you understand this story. There is evil in the world. Now, did the angels that were thrown out of heaven lose their power? I've not seen that verse anywhere that says they lost their power. They were thrown out of heaven. And where did they go? We'll get to that. But you know where they're at. You will not understand your life until you understand that your story has a villain. Satan has introduced doubt into the story. Can you really trust the heart of God? So life is hard and most people feel betrayed by God. Some people are introspective enough to realize that what they're disappointed in and who they distrust is God. But most of us, especially as church folk, we have too much church background to say that the one we're mad at is God. So we do something different. The point is, if there's only two characters in your story, if there's only God and you and life goes bad, then either God messed it up or you messed it up. There's not two characters in the story. There are three. John 10.10 10. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. What has he come to steal, kill, and destroy the glory and honor of God and anywhere he sees it he attacks anytime you begin to move out of his camp of where you can't trust God and into God's camp of where you love God I guarantee your enemy will show up and kill steal and destroy We have an enemy, we have a villain, one who is bent on your destruction. And if you think for a moment you've escaped that, you don't know the story. What's the rest of John 10, 10? The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that brings us to Act 3. Now we're at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God began to create the heavens and the earth. Don't rush to Genesis 3 with me. Stay in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Okay? At first, the Creator is using broad brush strokes, and light comes. And the light and the darkness are separated. Before, there was just darkness. 
And God spoke, and there was light. And then God spoke, and the land and sea, the water and land divided. And then the land and sea began to produce life. Now I want you to think of the most beautiful place on earth you know of. God did that. I had some friends that just came back from the Dominican Republic where they were able to play in the water. The water that is colors of water that we never see around here. We see big muddy water, right? Different shades of blue and turquoise and green. And oh, the fish that live in that water. Every color you can imagine, large and small as they swim and dart around the coral reef and all the seaweed and the stuff that's in that clear water that you can see for many feet deep. And then crawling up out of that water onto that white sand. And those magical palm trees and bushes and shrubs shrubs and the flowers and the color of those flowers. And we keep coming up out of the ocean and we get into the mountains and the waterfall that splashes to the ground and the life, the birds that live in those trees and fly, the mammals, the cats. You could just sit and talk about cats for 20 minutes and I'm not particularly a cat fan, but the cats are incredible. The dogs, the horses, the mountain goats, the earthworms. God created that. The artist starts with broad strokes of his brush and he gets down to final little creatures and says, oh, I'm going to make this one this color of orange and this one's going to be blue and look at the red on this one. That's God creating the universe. Um, the most beautiful scenes on earth. And then, then, God says, oh, watch this. Let us make man in our image. In our image and in our likeness, we will create him. And God makes the crowning jewel of creation. Men. That's sexist, I mean males. Just to be clear. He made men as the crowning jewel of creation up to that point. And then he looked and said, oh, it's not good for the man to be alone. And then he outdoes himself. And he creates woman. And then God stood back from the canvas and the easel Looky there what I did. That is good. And he sat down. That's the story we're invited to. That's the universe in which we live. A universe where a loving God created his powerful angels and us. I know we can talk about sin. And we will. 
But let's don't rush that. Let's remember the original glory that God created in, in the things of the earth and in us. Why do you like the sunset? Because God does. Why do you like warm, crispy brownies? Because God does. Why do you like the ocean water? Because God does. Why do you love to watch a waterfall? Because God does. Why do you love to see snow up on the peaks of the mountains? Because God does. Why do you love your spouse and your children and yourself? Because God does. You were created in His image and in His likeness. And every delight you have of your heart is from God because He loves you. That's who you're created to be. And that's what Act 3 starts with. But then, evil was lurking in the garden. Adam and Eve were not wounded and broken by their parents, like you were. Adam and Eve were not neglected and uncared for. Adam and Eve didn't have any problems to get over, like you do. But the evil one was able to come to them and introduce doubt about the heart of God. And they went with it. They convinced evil, convinced Adam and Eve that you can't trust God and something was lost. And we fell. And now, life does not come anywhere near what it was meant to be or what your heart longs for. Even though a warm, crispy brownie is an incredible thing, doesn't even hold a candle to what God had in store for us. Instead, while it brings delight to our body, it also brings a ton of sugar and other junk we have to deal with, right? Why don't we live on brownies 24-7? Because you'd look like me. That's why we don't. In 1 John, it says, The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. That's 1 John. That's like four books from the end of the book. This is not early Genesis where the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Today, St. Patrick's Day, 2019, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Do you believe that? No. No, you don't. You believe that God makes all these things happen, and we don't know why he needed another two-year-old angel in heaven, but he did, so this baby got cancer and died because God needed him in heaven. Wow. You talk about the enemy coming in to steal the glory of God and to question the heart of God? That we would think that God would take a two-year-old to heaven because he needed him? Wow. Don't tell me the power of the evil one is not strong. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Do you get it? 
Do you understand why people get divorced? Why there's murder? Why there's evil rampage? Why there are dictators? Why there's hate in our heart and contempt for each other? Because we live in a world that is under the power of the evil one. And it appears that all is lost. And that the glory of God has been taken. But then, God sends his rescue for us. It's like the invasion at Normandy. It's like all the great battles in the Lord of the Rings. Where it looks like all is lost. And then, the rescue comes. Now the mental picture you have of a fat baby cherub angel. Now you can apply that to the savior of the world. I don't know that he was a fat baby, but most of them are, so we'll go with that. And the Savior of the world laid in a manger. The rescue of all mankind. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. We were created for Eden. And we have the desires of Eden. But we live in a world that is under the power of the evil one. And Jesus comes to rescue us, to restore us, to defeat evil. Now, has evil been defeated? Yes. Yes. Is the battle over? No. Turn to Revelation. There is a day coming when evil will finally be removed and sent to their destruction. But that has not happened yet. Evil is still here. A third of the angels now under the, the direction of Lucifer, the evil one, wrecking havoc on the universe and the world. But God sent his son. That we could be rescued from that life of sin and death. And that is what we are. We have been rescued and we are being restored. And we are being renewed day by day. Is the battle over? No. You were born into a world at war. And if you think the story starts for me at Hiawatha Community Hospital in 1958... That was when I was invited into this larger story. But the story was going on long before. Way back to Act 1. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together as one. And then they created all of this. And then the fall. And then Tony comes into that story. And you come into that story. And those who have gone before have been inviting us up into that story. Rise up, old man of God. Right? Your story did not begin with sin. Your story began with the image of God in you. Created in his image and in his likeness. Oh yes. The evil one convinced you too to doubt the glory of God. Just like Adam and Eve. You went down that path. And you still have the ability to do that today. You still have the ability to go down that path. 
But today, you live in a love story that is set in the midst of a life and death battle. A love story where God is coming for you and comes for you and will come for you. But yet the enemy is there at every step to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, all of these great stories, well, let's just take like the World War II example. The Nazis put people in camps, right? And in those camps, they made the prisoners do terrible things. Terrible things. They made them kill each other. They made them beat each other. They made them clean out the furnaces after they just killed themselves, right? Terrible things that man, evil, can do to man. But you know one thing evil can never, ever make you do? Evil can make you deny God. Evil can make you sin. Evil can make you think that you're all of that. But evil can never make you love it. You can never be made to love. And we come to God. Who could make you love him. But he chose not to make you love him. Instead, God gave you a great, mighty, terrible gift. Called free will. And you can stand in the spot you're standing today and you can look at evil and you can look at God and you can decide. You can choose, in fact, you do choose whom you will love. Will you love evil or will you love God? The choice is yours. The ball is in your court. Who will you love? This is a love story where God wants us to love him. He longs for us to love him. But he doesn't force us to love him. He lets us choose because he loves us. And if you love someone and they feel in, captive, in captivity, that's a good indication that you're not loving someone well, right? I take my favorite things and I put it in a cage because I love it. Do you think it loves me back? No, can't. Not in the cage. Got to be set free. So God set us free and gave us the power to choose. Now, I believe in the history of this story and where we're at, we're in the late part of Acts 3. Act 4 begins with the renewal of all things. But a lot of things have to happen between this day and that. Um, and they lived happily ever after. Right? That's the way these good stories end. And there was peace in the Shire. Right? 
and the kingdom flourished. To get to that day, a great battle must take place. We're not there yet, but the battle rages on. It's raging on today. Um, paradise regained. Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Not all new things. All things new. A new heaven, new earth. Things are restored. Back to the way they were intended during creation. We are restored. We get a new body. Our broken hearts are fully restored in this new kingdom that is coming. Jesus said, if you lost houses or uh, mothers or fathers or sons or daughters or fields or farms in my name, the coming kingdom you'll get a hundred times. We've had the idea that our future was heaven somewhere far off in the clouds where we all would have little wings playing harps sitting on, angel, on clouds. Friends, that's not biblical at all. Is there a new heaven? Yes. Is there a new earth? Yes. Where we will reign with God like we were intended to when he made Adam and Eve? That's what he told them to do. Rule and subdue. Fierce mastery over the earth. That's what's coming. Those things that you long to do that's what's coming. Hey, Tony, you want to be on night fight? Oh, yes, I do. It's not too late. It's coming around. And when they knock your tooth out, you'll just put it back in. It'll be all right. You know, what do you want to do? You want to go see Paris? You want to climb some mountain? You want to swim in the ocean? You want to run with wild horses? You want to lay down in some meadow and watch a, a waterfall? Nothing is lost after renewal of all things. What will your body look like? I don't know. There's so many things about the coming kingdom above my pay grade. I don't know. Do you trust the heart of God? Will there be brownies in heaven? I don't know. There will either be brownies or something so wonderful, I won't remember what a brownie was like. Right? What do you love? Will your dog be in heaven? I don't know, but Jesus is riding a horse. There appears to be animals in the coming kingdom. I don't know. Romans 8 says the whole creation is groaning, waiting for its redemption. All of creation is groaning, saying, oh, I can't wait to be made new. Can you imagine? I mean, here's the thing. Are the environmentalists right about the earth? Is it decaying? Yes. Yes. Should we, as the husbands of the earth, take care of it? Of course we should. 
But we're not going to stop the destruction. Because that began, began before us. Right? But Jesus will make all things new. And the kingdom is restored. And the harmony between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and Tony will be as one. I won't be God. Just like the Son is never the Father and the Holy Spirit is never the Son. I will never be any of them. There will be four. Now, not four, but all of us will be in that relationship, right? So, what's your role in this story? What role do you play in the kingdom now, in the middle of Act 3? This is truth. Things are not what they seem. We see things, we hear things, we feel things. Those things are around. And then there are all the other things that are just as real, the invisible, the, immor the immortal. All those things are around us. Things are not what they seem. Right? You have a headache this morning. Is it because you're sick? Or is it because the evil one's messing with you? It's one of those two. Your car wouldn't start. Is it because you didn't do the maintenance that needed to be done? Or is it because the evil one's messing with you? It's one of those two. You had a fight with your spouse or your parent or your kid. Why? I don't know what started it, but I'll guarantee you the enemy did not waste the opportunity. And jumped all over that. Do you know these things? Things are not what they seem. We live in a world at war. And we live in the consequences of the world at war. Now that does not mean that we need to hunker down and get in our uh, bunker waiting for Jesus to return. No, we've been invited up into the story. And we play an incredible role. Look, I said the whole world is under the, uh, the control of the evil one. But all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And Jesus gives me authority. What authority does evil have over me? None. Can evil mess with me? Yep. Can I intervene with the power and the glory of Jesus' name? Absolutely. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. We are not helpless, hopeless, hapless victims. We are the mighty men and women of the Almighty God. When you go into the room, all the authority and the glory of God goes with you. Understand the power and the impact you have? What kind of story are you living? Hunkered down in the bunker? Like Forrest Gump at the bus stop with a box of chocolates waiting for the bus to go to the great reward? No, no, like William Wallace, like Frodo, like the great warriors and heroes, like Superman or Batman, whatever one, like Han Solo. That's who we are. We've been invited up into a great magical story, mythical story, a story beyond anything we could believe. And you have a crucial role to play in that story, an irreplaceable role. I cannot do what God has called you to do, and you cannot do what God has called me to do. 
And he called you to do it because he wants you to do it, because it needs to be done. And not doing it has consequences. Fathers, if you don't love and protect your children, what do you think will happen to your children? Mothers, if you do not protect and nurture your children, what do you think is going to happen to your children? Church leaders, if you don't care for your church and take care of the flock, what do you think is going to happen? Now, I'm not saying to put all of those troubles on your shoulder. In fact, I'm telling you to do just the opposite. Those things are all in the hands of God. And God has called you up into that to serve in those areas, not to be in charge. Right? Do you think I'm responsible for the safety of my children? If you think I am, either you have a really elevated opinion of me, or you're nuts. I'm not responsible for my children. God is. They're his children first, not mine. So we've been set free. So God can call me to use me in those roles. But it's not my burden to carry. It's God's. He's invited me into that, into this great, crucial role. Now, what role do you play in the story? Let's start with your dreams, your desires. What did you want to be when you grew up, before it got stolen from you? Chances are, in my era, you, you wanted to be a cowboy or a doctor, or an astronaut, or a fireman. See, you had visions of some great story that you could be in, and, and the way that you could protect and serve those around you. What did you want to be? What happened? Um, another way of looking at this, the movies you love. And the characters you love in those movies. What do you love about those characters? Chances are those characters are revealing to you your character and what you want to be. And what God has called you into. Um, in Revelation <clears throat> chapter 5, I believe, God says there's a white rock that has your new name written on it. Um... Abram was out messing around and God came to him and called him up into an incredible adventure and said, you're Abraham. Sari, you're now Sarah. Right? Saul, you're now Paul. Tony, you're now... What's your new name? Who does God say you really are? Who are you in this kingdom? God created us for intimate relationship. He is rescuing us from evil that is intent on our destruction. He is inviting us to help rescue others. And that's the good news. as a church with our values do we want to be the church full of people who are great in the classroom but live in a really small story or do we want to be the people 
who take what we've learned and put it into practice and step into the role that God has called us into, into this great story of all time. A story where we are not the main character, but a story where we play a crucial role. Stand up straight and tall. Take a deep breath. Who are you? You see, the reason I asked those questions last week, God, do you love me? And what do you love about me? Is so that you would know this week what God intends to use through you in this great role. The things he loves about you are the things that he put in you to use in his kingdom. So if you didn't do the homework, I'm going to put a red X next to your name and check back in next week. Do your homework. God, do you love me? Yes. God, what do you love about me? Listen. I'm, I know the first thing that comes into your mind, you'll say, oh, right. No, is there anything else? You will dismiss that. Just like it says in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You'll hear his voice, and it'll say something incredible about you, and you will dismiss that. Do not dismiss that. God is trying to tell you what he loves about you. So that you can step up into this role, this epic story that we've been invited into. In a role that is crucial, and beautiful, and incredible. It is life to the full, which is what Jesus has called us into. You can be fully alive in Jesus. And that's the story that we live in today.